Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. He's like a cowboy that's sort of carved out of stone. Greetings. Hello. Thanks for joining me on the Wellbeing Lab. It's Will Young here. Or is it Monsieur Guillaume Young? You find me in Toulouse, a beautiful city I would highly recommend. We've made it to episode 20. And this will be the last episode in the current season. All being well, we'll be back with more episodes soon. And I think we might have some sneaky bonus content coming your way too. So make sure you've subscribed to the podcast so you get notified when the lab is back. We're ending the season on a juicy topic. It's a big topic. It's one of my favourites. And one of the ones I find most hard actually in my own life, attachment. How we relate to each other in relationships and the reasons behind it. Another topic I find fascinating. And Suzanne Ziedijk, a research scientist and expert on attachment. Let me just say, she's pretty phenomenal. Do I have a crush on her? I mean, I tend to have a crush on most of my guests. But I mean, a sexual crush. You know, I just love them, love their character. So let's have a listen to my chat with Suzanne. I study how babies develop and how the experiences that you have in babyhood and in childhood shape the way the rest of your life kind of feels, the emotions, in adulthood, in older adulthood, and sometimes that really surprises people. And so I was a research scientist for nearly 20 years before about a decade ago, I chose to step outside of being an academic to work with the public. And I love helping to make what I call the science of connection accessible to the public so they can draw on it because I think they deserve it. Yeah, I love that. And how did you get into this, your line of work? Well, I love knowing the importance of relationships for infant development and childhood development and how that shapes your very biology. Relationships really matter. We're born needing to connect and wired for that in our brain and our body. And the more research about that I did, the more I just thought the public deserved to know. Parents, teachers, early year staff, prison officers, social workers, business owners, I thought everybody deserved to know what I had access to. I love helping people to understand the insights that science has to offer because I think it makes their lives easier. I agree. I remember having a conversation with someone and I was like, okay, well, if I am drawn to people who aren't emotionally available, yep, and that's, let's say, my lot, plus maybe when people get too close then I'm scared as well. I'm like, I'm buggered because how am I ever gonna have a, re- how am I ever gonna have a relationship? And I remember like laughing with my friend going, yeah, that's a bit, a bit screwed. But you know what? You're not stuck with it. Mm. You're likely to be stuck with it if you don't know about it. But if you know about it and you understand some of how it works, you can become more conscious of the things you're scared of. Then there are things that you can do. You can take more emotional risks. You can reshape 
the things that scare you in life. But the thing is, if you don't know about it, and tons of people don't know, then you are kind of stuck with it. And attachment styles, since you started there, Will, the science tells us it's just kind of a starting point for understanding what aspects of relationships might scare you a bit. And there are four basic styles. And so understanding if you get scared if people get too close emotionally, or that you get scared if people get too far away emotionally, or maybe you're scared actually by both of those, or you can kind of handle both, that starting place, just the idea that you could be scared of some part of relationships and it might be something different than other people are scared of, lets you step in with curiosity to go, how did that happen? And then your life starts to make more sense and other people make more sense too. Because very often, people who are scared of letting people in too close, they actually end up with people who really want to be in close because that's not what it looked like to begin with. On the one hand, you can kind of laugh at that and on the other hand, you can get, it can drive you nuts. And lots of relationships break up over that. So let's help relationships not to. Can you talk more about that? So I heard you say people that are scared of people coming in close, they often end up with people who... Who do exactly that. Okay, let's break that down. Okay, so attachment is a capacity that we're born with as human beings. So babies come into the world wired to make sense of other people, to notice what they're doing, to make meaning of it, to respond, to communicate. Okay, first of all, I think that is fascinating because lots of people don't know that babies can do that. They kind of think babies have to get older before they can communicate. Maybe they have to talk before they really notice other people. That's not true. Mm. Babies notice faces from the time they're born. Babies hear your voice before they're born. These are like pre-verbal years. Totally. Yeah. And pre-memory years. Pre-memory, yeah. So here's what's fascinating. Because you're noticing other people and you're making meaning of it as a baby, you are noticing, not consciously, but your brain is like keeping track of, do you notice mom, dad, early years worker? Do you notice what I'm feeling? And when I have big feelings, do you help me? So if I need a cuddle, do you give me a cuddle? If I need a bit of space, do you give me a bit of space? If I'm feeling bored or cold or hungry, do you help me with that? Because babies can't take care of that themselves because their stress system is immature. And effectively, brains notice when you help and when you don't. And it turns out that not all parents help. And it's not because they don't love the baby, but it's often because their own emotions can be uncomfortable. And so, you're not necessarily emotionally available to your baby if your baby's emotions are like a bit too demanding, a bit too overwhelming. But the key thing here is the baby is noticing when you help and when you don't, when you respond and when you don't. And I like to use that word help because it lets us have a better sense of what a parent's responsiveness means to a baby. Mm. So the baby feels like, oh great, you're trustworthy. So if I'm bored, you'll come and help me. Ah, great, you're trustworthy. If the sun is shining in my eyes, you notice and you put down the top of the pram. To go back to, it turns out that not always do adults notice. So if you're an early years person, like if you're in the nursery, you might have too many babies. You might be in charge of too many babies to be able to notice 
uh, individual baby really regularly. And so that baby begins to have an inconsistent experience of responsiveness. And that's where attachment styles come from, Will. Mm. It's the patterns in how other people respond to me. It's the patterns in how trustworthy other people are in dealing with my emotions. And I heard you mention there are four attachment yes. styles. Should we go through those? Yeah. So a parent can respond pretty regularly to whatever a baby's feeling. So if a baby is feeling tired, they can cope with that, the crying of tired. If the baby is angry, they can soothe the baby. If the baby's feeling needy, they can pick the baby up and cuddle them. So think of all the things a baby might feel, some of which are really tiring, Will. It's really tiring being a parent. Mm. It's exhausting doing all that emotional intensity. And you live, we all live in a culture, and sometimes our cultures, well, in fact, always our cultures tell us how to respond to babies. It's just that some cultures differ. Mm. So some cultures say, don't pick up that baby when they're crying. That'll make a rod for your own back. And other cultures say, pick the baby up and carry the baby like all the time. Some cultures say babies need time to be bored. And other cultures would go, never, ever, ever let your baby be bored. You need to keep them stimulated all the time. So what I mean is that a culture shapes how parents respond to their babies. I mean, that is inevitable. But it turns out that sometimes cultures, therefore, can encourage parents to interact in a way that is not always really responsive or put babies into daycare really early in their lives. And so you have childcare staff who don't have enough, you know, of their own attention to pay attention to babies. And although I'm saying babies, let's take it up to toddlerhood. So the four styles are you live in a culture and your parent is able to pay attention to really all of your feelings and cope with them and respond to them. So that's called secure attachment. If your parent is really inconsistent in how they respond, and maybe the parent gets overwhelmed themselves easily by how demanding babies are, because babies are incredibly demanding, what can happen is the baby starts to realize that sometimes you tune in and sometimes you don't tune in. And so the baby starts to get anxious about when you're going to tune out. And the baby starts to develop hypervigilance about when you're going to turn away, about when your attention is going to shift somewhere else. And that's called ambivalent attachment. So the third attachment style is called avoidant. If parents really consistently do not respond to babies' feelings. And so you might say, um, you're crying. I'm not responding to that crying. I'm going to make a rod from my own back if I respond to your crying. So I am not responding to that crying. If you consistently don't reply, what the baby learns is, well, it's silly to ask for help because you don't come. So I'm giving up asking for help. I'm on my own here. You will not help me with those feelings. And the baby begins to biologically be wired for a belief that I'm on my own. And then finally, there's disorganized attachment, which often comes if adults are scary. So maybe with abuse. So I need you to come and help, but you're scary when I ask for you. So I kind of get caught between wanting to be close and wanting to be far away, and wanting to be close and wanting to be far away emotionally. And so in trauma, because more and more people now talk about trauma and adverse childhood experiences, very often people who've experienced quite a lot of trauma have had scary carers 
And so relationships are really scary for them. And here's the key thing that I think is fascinating. These patterns get built into your biology, mm. right? They get built into the neural connections in your brain about how you read other people, about how you make sense of emotions. So if you're ambivalent, then you get really anxious as soon as somebody's attention starts to shift from you at all. And maybe your heart starts to beat faster and your breathing starts to go faster and your hormonal system sends some cortisol, which is a stress hormone, into your system really fast. Which would kind of make no sense to people who are securely attached because they're not so anxious about you starting to shift your attention away. And sometimes I tell funny stories to help us to get it. Like if you kissed your partner goodbye in the morning and said, goodbye, darling, have a really nice day at work. And then they left. And then five minutes later, you text them. Yeah, Yo, you've just left. I'm just texting to say, missing you already. Kiss, 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 kiss. And they don't hear anything. Yeah. So they start to get anxious. Okay, which will sound bizarre to some people. How can you get anxious? Except that if you're wired for it, the silence, the lack of attention, signaled to a baby threat. And you carry that in your system. Okay, so now you go, hello, darling, did you get that last text that I sent you 10 minutes ago? I was still thinking of you. Kiss, 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 kiss. Hello, darling, I've sent you three texts in the last 20 minutes. I haven't heard from you. Are you at work thinking of you? Kiss, kiss, kiss. Fewer kisses. And by the time the partner gets to work because they got caught up in traffic or they stopped off at Costa's. Yeah. And it took them an hour. Yeah, or like the phone died or they're on the phone or whatever. Or yeah. anything. Yeah, it's escalated to a... Absolutely. By then, that person is already in panic, right? And so they're like, I sent you 15 texts and you haven't responded. And by then, you're coping with the anxiety by getting angry because you feel ignored because that's how you felt as a baby. We're going to pause proceedings for a little bit and we'll be back very shortly. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And also, I think it's important because, you, you know, you were talking about this can then build into how you become wired. This is key survival yes. drive, isn't it? This is like primal, yes. the things that are yes. driving one's emotions. Your frontal lobes are offline. I mean, it's all going on, isn't it? The key thing that I think is helpful to people is to understand that this is biological. Mm. Okay, now it does not mean you're stuck with it. It means that you can help yourself. But you can't help if you don't know this stuff. How does it then build into our inner workings and how does it affect our ability to self-soothe maybe with our sympathetic, parasympathetic? That's a great question. 
so effectively what I have described is, do you think, I think it's entirely the wrong word because it's unconscious. Because babies develop these patterns by the time they're a year old, 18 months at the outside. So effectively, before you can walk or talk, you have learned how trustworthy other people are. And that's now beginning to be embedded in your biology. And then you take that with you unconsciously into your future. And so by and large, do you think people are trustworthy and that they'll come and help if you need help? Or do you kind of think people are not trustworthy and that there are parts of life where people just cannot be trusted and that you need to be on the lookout for them? And then that is woven into the way you do relationships, into the expectations you have of relationships. I like to talk about the biology, Mm. right? So underpinning all of that, your body gets in on the act. And I've made up this story about mobile phones. I expect some people will go, that is bizarre. That person's really needy. But there will be other people listening to this who are like, oh my God, that's me. Mm. And that might be your partner. Mm. Okay, so in fact, let me keep making up more of that, okay? So now you've got an angry partner because they got anxious that they simply hadn't had a reply on their text. Okay, so now you go through the whole of the day with the two of you anxious because you've got kind of a brewing fight on your hands. But the partner who received all of the texts thinks, oh my God, we've done this again and again and again. You're so needy. I'm fed up with this. It's over. Okay, if the Let's just call them the needy person, but I'm doing that just to keep it all straight. We could call them the scared person. Mm. Okay, so the scared person, if they don't start to figure out what is driving that anxiety, it's possible that they go through relationship after relationship after relationship, not understanding why they come to an end. And the more they go through that pattern as an adult, the more it reinforces the idea that relationships are scary, that people aren't trustworthy. And so they become more and more and more anxious about doing relationships. And so it winds everything up. If you come to understand this stuff, you can take better care of yourself. You can, sometimes therapists really help with that. Sometimes reading books on this stuff helps with that. But in other words, awareness lets you be more conscious of your emotions and to stop doing things that are likely to drive other people away. Mm. And you might be able to talk to your partner about what you're scared of and that together you might be able to work out ways that don't tip you over the edge, right? So can you text me when you get to work? Because then I know that that text is coming and I don't have to remain anxious about it. And if the partner understands that you got wired this way, then they don't have to think, guy, you're so weird. Mm. Now, that would apply also to a child who's being dropped off at nursery or a child who's being dropped off at school or eventually a child who's uh, departing for university, right? So I'm trying to talk about partings, little daily partings and then big partings. And in fact, when so many people were longing to be with their loved ones over COVID that they missed, that's attachment. Yeah. So we learned a lot about the experience of connection in ways we didn't want to know about during COVID. And a lot of us suffered from that disconnection. You know, it's interesting because when you're, when I'm hearing you talk about parting, 
I guess I'm getting a sense that if that parting is, is stressful to the person, the child, and the system, their you know, body, as well as their mind, doesn't feel like, it feels like forever, and they don't feel yes. safe, then that's going to be very traumatic. Very traumatic. So let me just keep giving some examples of that to help us to really get a sense of it. There are lots of children, when they go to school, they have really severe separation anxiety every morning. Mm. Okay, do schools understand that? Do teachers understand what is going on there? And do they help? Or do they tell the child to knock off that behavior? Because if the child doesn't have help, and by that I mean emotional help, they don't have attention, they don't have kindness, they don't have teddy bears available, right? And you might go, teddy bears? Why would you have teddy bears available? I'm in lots of schools now where there are teddy bears in the classroom or there are teddy bears in the head teacher's office because those schools understand more about this information. And teddy bears will help to comfort children, even better if it's your own teddy bear. So your teddy bear or your blankie or the bracelet that your mom gave you to wear on your arm, which she filled with kisses at the beginning of the day before you went to school, helps calm the biological system, helps calm your stress system. It has a biological impact. But if you're somewhere that does not allow you to be helped with that, where people tell you to stop that crying, where they humiliate you, make fun of you, perhaps punish you, you can't calm down. You might learn to hide it, Mm. but you're having to squash those feelings. You can't self-soothe them. And therefore, partings become more and more anxious-making. So we live in Britain. Traditionally, lots of children went to boarding school in Britain. So they parted from their parents at the age of seven, six, five, sometimes four. And then traditionally, they didn't see them for weeks. That was traumatic. And those children then often did not have help with that parting. So I'm just trying to give an example about how this stuff can seep into culture. Yeah. That means that boarding school could have impacts on your attachment system. And in fact, that's now what a number of people who study boarding school survivor syndrome talk about, the attachment impacts of being sent away from home at an early age. And so for some people, that's a bit of a surprise to think that elite schooling could have damaging emotional impacts. Very important. I mean, as someone who is a boarding school survivor, I mean, that's how I identify. Also, it makes me think of, you know, their boarding schools and they're also people that have been given up by their parents or gone into a system. And I would imagine that would bring up a lot of attachment stuff as well. Well, you're spot on. If you can't see the people you love, you grieve. Often I think people, and I have observed it, I've also observed it with myself, and I think I was able to sort of get on top of it. But, you know, it can be very triggering for people to go into a system that maybe they think is safe if their attachment stuff is being triggered. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the way you cope as an adult may not serve you very well as an adult, but it served you well as a child. It really helps, I think, to understand that these strategies were important once upon a time. They were valuable when you were young, but they don't help necessarily later on. So I've read a couple of books on attachment. Okay. I think I've got better, by the way. 
Because for me, dating is just terrifying. Absolutely okay. terrifying. To the point that often, I wonder if anyone else can relate to this who's listening, the, the person's face, I'd focus so hard on their face and their eyes that I yes. kind of like lose myself, which makes me think it's quite pre-verbal stuff maybe. Because that I'm, makes total sense. Yeah, because I'm really looking at the face. Certainly reading some books on, a, on attachment has helped me notice cognitively certain things so i give you an obvious example so let's say i go on a date with someone and in the past let's say i get to second date and they'd go oh i don't like i mean i'm making this up i don't like capers and i'd be like well they don't like capers well that's not going to work out you know but i firmly believe it i'm like it's definitely not going to work out if they like capers you know so <laughs> i can work out my avoidant sort of style and then kind of through you know thinking and intellectualizing can be like, okay, well, maybe try and just push yourself a little bit and think maybe capers is fine. But I still get very visceral body reactions. Sure, because it's wired in your biology. Yeah. So let me check. So, Will, you think you're avoidant? I think I'm avoidant, yeah. Okay, so what do you think you are keeping yourself safe from? What are you scared of in relationships? To answer that question, what I'm going to do is access my body rather than my mind, okay. if that makes right. sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, and for the listeners, what I mean by that is if they've listened to our somatic therapy interview, you know, I do a lot of accessing past stuff through going into my body. I would say, well, there's definitely a fear and there's a sense potentially of a sort of lack of boundaries for the other person. Okay. Yeah. And do you know where you feel that in you? Is it your yeah, chest, in my chest. Your tummy? In my chest. Okay. It's always so, in my chest. It's always in your chest. Okay. Not everybody knows where they're feeling what they are in their body. Lots of people are so disconnected from their body yeah. that they're not even able to tell where they're feeling something. You can learn to do that mm. because your body will be having a reaction. Okay. So... And I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you here. No, no, no. I just think, so, well, lots of people think as soon as you start to talk about this, oh, I'm being psychoanalyzed. The thing is, I think this basic stuff is just helpful yeah. to everybody. Yeah, that's why I'm bringing it up. I mean, you know, I'm using myself as a model. So please go on, you know. It's, it's wonderful. It's really kind mm. of you. So if, if you can be aware of when your chest is tight, especially when you're on a date, you can learn how to comfort your chest. Mm. Right? You can learn techniques for going, let's breathe more slowly. Mm. Let's relax my shoulders. And then your body isn't taken over and going, oh my God, capers, no capers. Oh my God, tragedy is looming. So that your body takes over and makes you more and more and more anxious. You can actually be more in charge of what is happening. I didn't used to know all this stuff either. When I learned that you could be in charge of your own anxiety, I was stunned. I didn't know that was possible. Mm. Nor did I know that I actually had a responsibility to be in charge of it. And that pissed me off a bit. Right? I was like, you mean I'm in charge of this? I have to learn how to do this? Yeah. That was news to me. But until you do know this and you learn how to do that, you remain trapped in the fears you had as a baby. And that's a Terrible place to have to live your life. I really understand having done a lot of, you know, so many different types of therapy but through parts therapy, you know, all how we're made up, that often it's not, well, it's not a linear process in terms of like, 
there can be blocks, survival things that get in the way. But I think what you've said is so key that really you can be in charge of your anxiety and of soothing it. And, 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 and that, that's like imperative. I'll tell you something that I really noticed for me was actually was not drinking on dates because okay. that really helps because if I would drink, I would have less control and I, you know, maybe more scared parts would come up. Sure. Or I, you know, if I'm off and away after a, a beer or two beers, then I'm not making brilliant decisions necessarily. So that's been a really big thing for me, actually. So starting to know how you self-soothe, all self-soothing makes you feel better. But sometimes those strategies are healthy and sometimes they're not. Mm. Okay, so drinking is a great self-soothing strategy, but you're pointing out that it actually brings some other problems as well. Drugs are a great self-soothing strategy. It's just that it has other consequences as well. Mm. And since our society is not very trauma-informed, we end up punishing people rather than offering them healing and therapy. And we make it worse for other people. So the trauma ripples out. I mean, we're going to have to speak again, Suzanne, is all I'm saying. I would love to, Will. We're going to have to speak again. The dog's whining. I mean, I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much. That was just wonderful. It's a total pleasure. There she is, Suzanne Zedike. Thank you to everyone who, during this season, has got in touch. Podcasts last forever. So if you're listening to this weeks, months, or even years after it was released, well, just keep your messages coming in because, you know, that's the beauty of podcasts. The Wellbeing Lab community continues between seasons, and I'll be reading your messages whilst we're prepping season two. As ever, these are all the ways you can get in touch. Email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com, Twitter at the Wellbeing Lab, Instagram and Facebook, at the Wellbeing Lab podcast. Lots of love to you all. I shall continue my sojourn, my cultural tour through France. Take care of yourself. Lots of love. Bye. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. And is part of the Acast Creator Network. It's true.